You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Well, today we're going to do a shorter sermon. Uh, we're on part three of our series, Pentecost. We're going to shorten up a little bit so we can spend some time with the family together. But we're on part three of our series, Pentecost. And again, in this series, we're not necessarily talking about um, Pentecost in regards to the festival, but rather Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit comes down upon the disciples and what that means for us as believers, the Holy Spirit activity. And last week we talked about the Holy Spirit's indwelling in us and how that should shape us, how that should form us, how that should help us live our day in and day out lives. And so today we're on part three and we're going to talk about life in the Spirit from Romans chapter 8. Jocelyn read Romans chapter 8 earlier and we're going to break that down a little bit today. But before we get to the text and breaking it down, um, have you ever uh, like me, been at an airport and watching the planes come and go and really sort of marvel, think to yourself how incredibly insane it is that these great big steel uh, tubes fly through the air. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but for me, and I'm I'm not an engineer, but the fact that these great big uh, tubes, these great big st- with wings, these steel heavy pieces of equipment are able to lift off the ground and take us places and we actually feel safe climbing inside of them, or at least maybe most of us do, climbing inside of them and that we are going to move from point A to point B um, safely through the air at 30,000 plus feet or whatever. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a pilot, no stretch of the imagination, but I did some quick research about this because to me, it's a little bit interesting. And in that quick in research here, I found that the Boeing 737-100, which is kind of like an average commercial airline, airplane, has a max load, uh, when it's max when it's at its max load, it weighs 110,000 pounds. So fully loaded with all of the cargo it can carry and all of the passengers it can carry, max load for this Boeing 737-100 is 110,000 pounds. That's pretty heavy. And this 110,000 pound plane requires 14,000 LBF or pound forced of thrust in order for it to take off and achieve lift. 14,000 pound force of thrust to, to take off and achieve lift and actually move it up into the air. Uh, to me, all of this stuff is very, very mind-boggling. I don't know uh, the people that figured this stuff out, but they are brilliant people. Now, two things, two laws are at work here, simply speaking. Again, I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a physicist. I'm not a pilot. I'm not uh, any of these sort of things. But uh, two sort of simplified laws are at work here. The law of gravity, which we're thankful for. It keeps us on the ground, right? And also the law of lift. Now, 
the law of gravity has been around um, as long as we have been alive, as long as we have been around as a world. So we understand the law of gravity is holding, it's a force that is pulling things to the earth. Again, I'm speaking simply, but, but if you go out and you climb up onto the roof of your house and you step off the edge of the roof, um, the law of gravity will take effect quickly and you will find yourself on the ground. And it doesn't matter if you believe in the law of gravity or not, the law of gravity will uh, prove itself to be true pretty quickly if you step off the edge of your roof. Please do not do that. Um, the other one is the law of lift. It takes a little bit more understanding in regards to the law of lift, but the law of lift is essentially a a formula that takes into account the weight of whatever object we're talking about, the thrust of that object, the ability to um, then create this thrust with this aerodynamic um, element of this object, in this case an airplane, the aerodynamic object with enough thrust will produce what is called lift. Now, the reality is gravity is constantly working, but if there's enough thrust put into this object that we know as an airplane, the aerodynamics of that airplane will create what is called lift. And the law of lift supersedes the law of gravity when applied properly. So the moment that the lift is applied, the, the, the law of lift is applied properly to an airline, we have liftoff and we have no longer been, we are no longer bound rather to the law of gravity, but the law of lift supersedes. It sets us free from the law of gravity. And so it is with the law of the spirit. Romans chapter 8 talks a lot about the law of, the, of, of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life. And it sort of juxtaposes these two laws, similar to the law of lift and the law of gravity, making it clear to us that one supersedes the other. If you're taking notes, I would say it simply like this. The law of the spirit of life supersedes the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life supersedes the law of sin and death. So let's talk about, just briefly, life in the spirit. And we're going to just talk about three things out of Romans chapter 8, those 17 verses that Jocelyn read earlier. We're going to talk about three things out of Romans chapter 8 that I see that sort of stand out in regards to the life in the spirit. And the first thing is this, that in the spirit, we have freedom in the spirit. Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Notice the juxtaposition of these two laws, that the law of the spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. So two laws are operating here, the law of the spirit and the law of sin and death. And the law of the spirit supersedes the law of sin and death. In the spirit, we are no longer bound by nor or are we obligated to the law of sin and death? This is so important for us to understand as believers that we are no longer obligated to the sinful nature that leads to death. The wages of sin is death. We are no longer obligated to that sinful nature. We are no longer slaves to that or bound to that nature because the spirit of God dwells in us. Now that spirit of life that is in us has set us free, liberated us from the law of sin and death. Now, the Spirit gives the life, 
that the Torah or the law promised but couldn't deliver. So Paul kind of works this out in a lot of his writings where he tries to explain to the Jews that the Torah law, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah uh, was not able to deliver, was not able to save as they had hoped or as they had supposed, but that Christ has come instead of the law or to fulfill the law in our stead so that we could be set free. So the Spirit gives us the life that that the Torah promised or that they hoped would give life, but failed to do so, couldn't deliver on what they had hoped. Now, let me show you really quick what I mean by this. As we look at the festival of Pentecost, uh, remember, this whole series is about what it means for us when the Spirit came to dwell in the disciples on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So first of all, let's look at the Old Testament Pentecost. Let's look at Exodus chapter 19 and Mount Sinai. Now, I'm not going to read it. Go back and read it for yourself. I'm going to sort of summarize what is happening here. But the, what, the, what the first festival of Pentecost was celebrating was it was celebrating the 50th day after Passover. Now, Passover was the day when it was the beginning of the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And as they traveled and, and escaped, were liberated from Egypt, set free from Egypt, they, as they were moving through the desert, through the Red Sea, they came upon Mount Sinai and they camped around the base of Mount Sinai. <clears throat> and about the 50th day, Moses is camped with the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai and the Lord meets with Moses on Mount Sinai. So Moses goes up and he meets with the Lord on Mount Sinai. Now he meets with the Lord and the Lord comes down on the mountain in thunder, in fire, in wind, in smoke. All of this imagery is around Mount Sinai as Moses is meeting with the Lord. And on the mountain, on this first, this 50th day after Passover, this first Passover and this first 50th day or Pentecost day, the Lord gives Moses the law on Mount Sinai. Again, speaking to him from the fire and the smoke and the thunder and, the, and all of these, this imagery, this rich imagery that's happening, he gives him the law, which includes the Ten Commandments. And this is where the festival of Pentecost throughout the entire Old Testament, this is what it was celebrating. It was remembering this moment where God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, the 50th day after they were delivered from Egypt. Does it make sense? Okay. So, but the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end with God giving Moses the law. No, before Moses could even come down off of the mountain with the law, the children of Israel were already breaking the law. They had fashioned for themselves a golden calf, and they had uh, stripped themselves naked and were dancing around and worshiping this golden calf, calling it their God who had delivered them from Egypt. They essentially were taking the... Um, 
religious ritual practices, the pagan practices that they had learned when they were in Egypt and they were applying it to God. And so they were, they were involving themselves in pagan worship to this calf, this golden calf and calling it God. So they were already breaking the law of God before Moses even got down off the mountain. And when Moses comes down off the mountain and he sees this thing that they are doing, he is um, indignant. There is a righteous indignation and he declares judgment upon the children of Israel for what they are doing, that they are worshiping this false idol. Um, and judgment settles upon the children of Israel. And that day, 3,000 men died in judgment for this act of idolatry, worshiping around this golden calf. So get the picture, Moses, Mount Sinai, God speaking to him through fire, through thunder, through wind, delivering to him the law. Moses, before he can even get off the mountain, the children of Israel are disobeying the law and judgment falls upon the camp and 3,000 people die. Now, Pentecost was a celebration remembering when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. So that was the first Old Testament day of Pentecost. Now we fast forward into Acts chapter 2 where we've read about the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And I want you to notice there's some similar things that are happening. Because in Jesus, God is reversing what happened in the Old Testament. The, the law that they tried to keep and couldn't keep is now going to be kept by Jesus and it now affords us something uh, greater than what the law was to the Old Testament people of God. Now let's look at it. So the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, here we have the Feast of Pentecost being celebrated in Jerusalem and the disciples, as Jesus told them to do, had gathered together in an upper room. So there's an elevation to where they've gathered, similar to Moses going up the mountain to meet with God. The, the disciples, the 120, went up into the upper room and gathered together to wait and meet with God. So you got to notice these similarities here. God meets with the 120 as they are waiting. He meets with them in what? In wind and in fire. The Bible says that suddenly in Acts chapter 2, there came a sound like a rushing mighty wind and there appeared to them as cloven tongues of fire that rested upon each and every one of them. Now, instead of giving a new law to the, the people of God, the disciples, the 120 in the upper room, God gives them, fills them with the promised Holy Spirit. So Moses on the mountain in fire and wind, God gives him the law. The 120 in the upper room in wind and fire, God releases to them, fills them with the Holy Spirit. The disciples break out into the streets in sort of a holy commotion and they're being accused of being drunk. Moses comes off the mountain and finds all of the people, children of Israel, drunk with idolatry, worshiping and dancing around an idol. The, 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 the disciples come breaking out of the upper room having been filled with the spirit and everybody else is claiming that they are drunk but they said we're not drunk as you would suppose and in that moment Peter the one who had denied Jesus three times just a few days ago gets up and he begins to deliver to them to preach to them the gospel or the good news and in preaching to them the good news about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 3,000 people 
receive new life. 3,000 people are born again. Do you think it's coincidental that it was 3,000 people who lost their life in judgment with the giving of the law and that it was 3,000 people that received brand new life in Jesus with the giving of the Spirit of God? It's not a coincidence. No, it's the very thing that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8 here. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, the Torah could only introduce the children of Israel to their sinfulness and the judgment that would come from that sinfulness. That's why there was a whole sacrificial system to deal with their sinfulness constantly, day in and day out, year after year, because the law only introduced them to their need for a Savior. But here comes Jesus, who pays the price for us and releases on the day of Pentecost the Spirit, the, the Spirit of life that liberates us from the spirit of sin and death. I hope this isn't making sense and I know that I'm moving quickly. We see here that the Torah or the law was not and is not the instrument for divine deliverance. No, Jesus is and we receive that deliverance, that freedom that Jesus affords to us by his spirit. The law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin of death. We are no longer obligated to sin or death because of Jesus and the spirit of God in us. The apostle Paul said this in talking, writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians. He said, now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen. Now, second thing that I see here in these 17 verses is that we need our minds set on the spirit. We need a mindset on the spirit. Most of us know about mindset. We'll talk sometimes about our mindsets when we're approaching goals, when we're trying to set things up in life and, and uh, establish maybe you know, cultures in our businesses or whatever. We're like, this is the mindset that we must have moving forward, right? Well, Paul writing to the, the church in Rome is explaining to him them that there must be a mindset for the people of God as well. Those who live by the Spirit must have their minds set on the spirit. So number two is mindset. Romans 8 verses 5 and 6 says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, if I offered you two options today and said, hey, which one do you choose? Would you rather have death or life and peace? I'm pretty sure that 100% of us would say, yes, give me life and peace. And Paul is saying, listen, life and peace is available to you by the Spirit of God. So set your minds on the things of the Spirit so that life and peace can begin to um begin to show up in your life, begin to become um, very real in how you live your daily life. It'll be worked out in your thoughts. It'll be worked out in the things that you say. It'll be worked out in your relationships, life and peace. 
And though the Spirit has set us free from sin and death, that is a fact. Our freedom is only as powerful as our revelation and exercising of it. Just like we talked about the law of gravity versus the law of lift, the law of gravity is still established. The only way for the law of gravity to be overcome is for us to understand, to have the revelation of, and apply the law of lift. And when we do so, no longer does gravity hold us down, but lift takes us above. Uh, it supersedes the law of gravity. The same thing is true here. The Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. But if we don't understand that, if we don't have the revelation of that, and we don't apply that, we don't set our minds towards the things of the Spirit, we may very well remain bound in sin and death. We may very well remain um, controlled or feel obligated to sin and death. This is why Paul opened up Romans 8 saying, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's trying to, in one sentence, say, you are free from the obligation of sin and death because you are a believer. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, so the Spirit set us free from sin and death, and our freedom is only as powerful as our revelation and our exercising of it. I think a really good example of this um, is what we just celebrated on the 19th. We celebrated Juneteenth on June 19th. And Juneteenth is a uh, really special um, uh, celebration, a really special holiday for um, African Americans. And Juneteenth is a celebration of June 19th, 1865, where in Galveston, Texas, the Union Army rolled in under General Gordon Granger and pronounced to the last slaves that they were free. Um, it's a real short summarization of what this celebration is. But in effect, in Texas, in Galveston, Texas, though two and a half years earlier, Abraham Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation, still two and a half later in Galveston, Texas, there were people who were enslaved and did not realize, nor were they able to exercise in the fact that they had been liberated two and a half years earlier. It required this moment where the Union Army and General Gordon Granger pulled into, rode into Galveston, Texas. He stood in the balcony of this house and he declared over all of them that they were no longer slaves, but that they were free men, which enacted an incredible amount of joy among the African-Americans who had been enslaved for so long. They danced, they celebrated, they shouted, they sung, they did all of these wonderful things. And so every year they've been celebrating Juneteenth, their literal day of liberation when they found out the last slaves found out that they were no longer bound to slavery, but that they were free indeed. I wonder how many of us have lived enslaved for years, not having the revelation and understanding, not being able to operate in our freedom because we just didn't really know that the spirit of life has set us free from the spirit of sin and death. So we've got to set our minds on the things of the Spirit so that we can live in the freedom that the Spirit offers us. 
We must first understand that the flesh does not enslave us any longer and then intentionally set our minds on the spirit. Or as Paul would say, walk in the spirit. David Guzik says it like this, walking in the spirit means that the course, the direction, the progress of one's life is directed by the Holy Spirit. It is continued and progressive motion. Now, we're going to continue to talk about the Holy Spirit in this series of Pentecost. We're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about the, the, the identification of the Holy Spirit being um, our parakletos, our helper, our counselor, our advocate with the Father. We're going to talk about some of those things. So it'll help us sort of flesh out what it means to walk in the Spirit. But the call here is to set our minds on the things of the Spirit so that we can walk in the Spirit. We can walk in the way of the Spirit, progressively, continually moving forward in the things of God, growing in our walk with God. And then the third thing that I see here, and I'm sure you can probably pull out more than these three things, but the third thing that I see here is that we are, Paul talks about how we are adopted as sons adopted as sons. Now that word sons there is re re referring to children, the children of God. It's gender neutral. It's not specifically calling out a particular gender. Um, it's calling out all men and women who are children of God. We are adopted as sons. Romans 8, 14 and 15 says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy. See, the spirit in us, leading us, is proof of our adoption into God's family. No longer slaves, but now sons. Now children of God. Wow. This is a powerful thing for us to understand. We are adopted into the family of God, no longer slaves to sin, but now sons to the most high God, children of the most high God. This is the life that we live in the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was sent to us to live this kind of life, to show us, to demonstrate to us that we are now children of the living God adopted into his family. This is good news. Now, listen, the, the, the Roman church that Paul was writing to would have understood this incredibly well because under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. What do I mean by that? The adopted son lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out with all debts being canceled, with nothing from his past counting against him anymore. And he became a brand new person as a son of the new adopted family. And indeed received the exact same, if not more, of the inheritance in the new family that he was adopted into. So in no moment in that new family was he considered less than. And, and in Roman times, the child that was adopted was hand-selected by the parents 
and in was given in a lot of cases double the inheritance was moved to the highest position or the highest order of the lineage of children within that family it meant something to the romans to talk about adoption and paul is using this language intentionally to speak to them about what the spirit of god is doing in them and how the spirit is proof that they have been adopted into the family of god that god has chosen them and that god has wiped away their past wiped away all their debts of sinfulness and has given them a brand new name a brand new nature a clean slate a new lease on life the bond of belonging for you and me is the spirit of god and all our old debts all our old obligations to sin have been wiped clean and christ takes our sin upon himself and we take his name as our own we are christians and the spirit of god dwells in us michael f bird said said it like this the holy spirit leads believers away from the flesh and guides them into their inheritance as adopted children of God. Paul declares that we are heirs, that we have an inheritance in this kingdom of God, and that we are co-heirs with Christ by the Spirit of God. Think about that today. What a beautiful image Paul is using. I want to wrap this up with this hymn. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm not going to sing it to you, but this hymn that was written by Fanny Crosby called Adopted. And here's one stanza of this hymn. It says this, I am adopted, O wonderful love, heir to a heritage purchased above. Tell it, my soul, and joyfully sing. I am a child and heir of a king. Think on that today. That by the Spirit of God, the life in the Spirit of God provides for us freedom, causes us or calls us to set our mind and walk according to the Spirit, and declares to us that we have been adopted as children of the living God. That I am my beloved's and he is mine. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to live, to walk in the life of the Spirit. That you would give us revelation of the freedom that we have in the Spirit today. And that you would help us to live, to walk according to the ways of the Spirit of God. To live according to the ways of the Spirit of God. And may we rest assured in the fact that you have called us your own. That we are children of the living God. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, let me say this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make Him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.